So we're coming to the end of the Reformation series. This is the last one, and then uh, next Sunday will be the beginning of Advent, believe it or not. Isn't that incredible? Um, so that's coming up. I remember uh, growing up in my church, every single Sunday, the pastor said the same words. Every Sunday, the same words. You knew it, I knew it, and it went something like this. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before his glorious presence with exceeding joy, to the only wise God be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forevermore. And then we all sang a song together, and we let, and we departed. You know, and I, I remember even after singing the song, there, there was like this moment where we sang the last word of the song, and then there was like a pause. And nobody said anything, nothing was playing, and then the organist would start playing the postlude, and everybody would, would get up, and that would be like the signal, you know. But there was like this, this, this little moment, and I remember all these things growing up, and, and that's got to be one of the most amazing benedictions in Scripture. How I would like to conclude this Reformation study is by looking at that benediction. It's at the end of Jude. Would you grab a Bible? If you brought your own, great. Turn to Jude. It's right before Revelation, so if you go to the end, and whoever gets it first can stand up and read Jude. Ready? Okay, no, okay. Um, but turn to Jude. It's a short little book, so I'm gonna, it seems like a crime not to read the whole thing. Like, it just, you gotta read the whole thing, because I grew up knowing that doxology by heart. The King James version of that doxology. And so, um, but, but I don't know that I ever understood the whole context of that amazing, those amazing two verses. So I want to give you the whole context. We're just going to read the book of Jude, and then we're going to get to that, that doxology, and then we're going to kind of pick it apart and examine it a little bit to see how incredible it is. So, hopefully you're there in Jude by about now. Here we go, Jude 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once and for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who do not believe. And the angels who do not keep their positions of authority but abandon their own home, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet... These men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand, 
and what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. Woe to them. They've taken the way of Cain. They've rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They've been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These men are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up to their shame, wandering stars for whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they've done in the ungodly way and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against them. These men are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you in these last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in the most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. Context helps, right? A little bit. Because when you read through Jude, short book, 25 verses and you're through it, and, and, and you kind of get to that middle section, and, and it's like, you, you got the beginning where Jude says, um, I wanted to write to you about our salvation, but I need to write to you about something else. I'm writing to you to contend for the faith. In other words, fight for the faith. And here's why. There are some people that have slipped into the church and they are, we'll call them fakers. They're fakers. They want to entice you into sin. They're denying Jesus Christ. They don't have the Holy Spirit. And then he like describes them in all this vivid language. You know, they're, they're, they're like the, the wandering stars. and, and and you read through Jude and you're just like, wow, that, that middle part, that, that big middle part is really heavy, you know? Like, like read that to your, to your unbelieving friends, right, you know? And so, you know, that, that, that's hard. And, and so you read all that and, and I'm sure to, to the readers of Jude, the first readers, they would have read all that and said, so, wow, there are people amongst us and we don't want to fall into their trap their error. We don't want to go their way. And that's why Jude concludes with this incredible doxology to him who is able. Now, if you're taking notes today, I just want to set you up well. I, I put the verse in your notes so you can kind of write things down as we go. I want to try things a little bit differently. So if you just want to look at your notes in your bulletin, I kind of outlined it for you. And, and, and the way I outlined it on your on your notes is the way I'm going to go through it today. 
So I'm not going to have a bunch of notes up here. I'm going to have a few things, but they'll match what you've got in front of you. Okay? Jude says, <clears throat> to him who is able. Now, the word able is the word dunamai, which is where we get the word, it, it, it's the word power in Greek. He has power. So when you say God is able to do something, you're saying he has the power to do something. It's referring to God's omnipotence. And it's not a word you usually use by itself. Like normally you don't go up to somebody and say, hey, I'm able. Or they're going to say, I'm Cain, you know. Sorry. Um, couldn't help it. Uh, it sounded funny last night when I was going through it. Uh, it's really funny. Uh, but to, to him who is able, you, you wouldn't really say that without saying what you're able to do. And if you love grammar, I can tell you there's two infinitives after able. There's two things God has all power to do. So we're talking about God's power and what he is able to accomplish. And, and Jude is saying, I want this church to know there are two things that God is able to do here. I want to really highlight these two things. So that's going to be my outline too, the two things God is able to do. Two guarantees for your life. Two things God is able to do for you. And the first one is, he is able to keep you from stumbling. He's able to keep you from stumbling. What does it mean to stumble? Some translations say fall. And the reason some translations say stumble and some translations say fall is because there's kind of, it's kind of a nuanced thing. Um, if you read James, James says, uh, let me quote the verse in case you're taking notes here carefully. I don't have it in front of me. Okay. I don't have, you have to look. Oh, James 3.2. You know, in James 3.2, James says, we all stumble in many ways. And what James means is, we all sin. You stumbled last week. I stumbled last week. We all stumble. We all break God's commands. We're all sinners. And so, in some sense, stumbling just refers to getting tripped up in sin. Messed up. A trip. On the other hand, if you look at uh, the Second Peter passage that was read during the, um, the sword drill, Second Peter 1.10 says you need to make your calling and election sure by doing these things. And he's referring to what he said earlier. And, and, and if you do these things, you'll never fall, but you'll enter the kingdom of God. And so Peter uses stumbling as like, like you're not going to fall away from your faith. You're going to stay a Christian. You're going to keep going. And God's going to keep you from falling away. Now, my question to you then is, which one is it? Is it God is able to keep you from sinning or God is able to keep you falling away from your faith that you have? And I think it's fair to say, if you read Jude, like all those verses on sinning, you know, they followed the way of Cain. They went into Korah's rebellion. You know, like, like there's all these Old Testament examples of sin and the sexual immorality of Sodom and Gomorrah. Like there's all this stuff there, all this sin. And, and yeah, I would say it would refer to stumbling into sin. But I think in a greater way, Jude is saying these people that are infiltrating your church, the fakers in your church, they don't have the Holy Spirit. They deny Jesus Christ, he said. They're not really believers. And so they're enticing people in the church to leave the faith, to leave Jesus. So that would be full out apostasy, to use a big word. You know, that they're leaving the faith. They're falling away. 
they're stumbling away from Christ. And, and I think that kind of makes sense to say, isn't sin and eternal death always kind of on a spectrum? You know, James kind of talks about like that. You know, sin leads to all of these negative things, and eventually sin leads to death. Eternal death, separation from God, hell, you know. So why would I want to, as a believer, why would I want to keep on sinning and excusing it and keep on doing it when I know that path is a path of death? When I'm on the path of life, like, like, it doesn't make sense to me. But, but I think you could say the spectrum is there, stumbling into sin, falling away from the faith. But, but I think in the context of Jude, if I'm a reader of Jude, I'm kind of thinking, he talked about Jesus coming back and judging everybody. And I'm thinking to myself, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to judge my life. What if I follow the fakers? What if I get sucked in with the world? What if Satan entices me away from Christ? Let me say it like this. For some of you, maybe faith feels a lot like this. And no, I'm not done preaching. Sorry. Maybe, maybe when, when Jude says God is going to keep you from stumbling, maybe faith feels a lot like a walker to you. You know? And, and, and you are just hanging on. And you feel frail. You feel fragile. And, and, and you're taking steps, but they're small steps. And then you get to Jude, and Jude's like this heavy duty Sodom and Gomorrah, don't fall into sexual immorality, don't go the way of Balaam, who cursed God's people, you know, don't do these things. And, and, and maybe, you know, Maybe it just feels very precarious to be you right now with your faith. And then Jude comes along and says this, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And my encouragement to you today, if faith feels precarious, if the thought of God's judgment seems real, which it certainly does to to Jude's readers, Jesus is coming back. He's going to judge all those fakers that are in the church. Hang on. That's my encouragement. Hang on and understand it is still God who's keeping you upright. Can I say that again? Even if your faith feels precarious, even if you feel like you're taking one step forward and two steps back, praise God. Thank God He's keeping you upright in the faith. Even with those little steps you've taken. He is He is using His omnipotence, His power to keep you going, frail though you are. Praise Him. Praise Him. Because Jude does. Jude does. And he draws a clear line between the fakers who are going to be judged and the genuine believers. He even says at the end of Jude there, I don't know if you noticed it, but he says, have mercy on those who doubt. Did you catch that? Have mercy. You know, the doubters are just, they don't know. It's fragile. Have mercy on them. Don't judge them. Don't make fun of them. They're hanging on. Maybe some of you feel strong in the faith. You feel things are good. Faith for you is like a good pair of running shoes and you can run a marathon in those things. And you're not going to fall. 
during that run. You are solid, stable, maturing. Praise God. Because He's kept you there. He's kept you from stumbling. He's kept you from falling away. Praise God for that because it's not you. It's not you. It's Him. Secondly, it's Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand before His glorious presence. To make you stand. Um, Some translations say to present you. And I'm sure the idea of presenting is there. That's a good translation. Don't get me wrong. I think my NIV just said that, right? To present you before God. The idea is judgment days here. Jesus has come back and His glorious presence is right in front of me. And and I'm going to get judged. And it says God is able to make me stand. He's presenting me. But but I like that literally the verb is make stand. Stand you up. And I love it because... Our God is able to keep me from falling and to make me stand on judgment day. You know, you, you get you, you get the you get what's going on here. I'm not going to fall. In fact, I'm going to stand. Stand where? Stand before His glorious presence. Literally, it says you're, you're going to make you stand before the presence of His glory. I mean, when Moses wanted to see God's glory. God was like, I gotta, I gotta hide you in a rock. I can't let you see me or you're gonna die. When Isaiah saw God, what did he think? Woe is me, I'm ruined. I said a lot of bad things. I said a lot of bad things. I am done for. He stood before God. And now it says here, I'm gonna stand before God. You're gonna stand before God. You're gonna stand before His glorious presence. And all I can think of when I read that is, there's no way I deserve to stand there. I was, I was, uh, a few weeks ago, I was, uh, on, uh, my, my, our Facebook, uh, my dorm floor has a page, and, and there was a guy from my years at Moody, and, and he was able to see the Queen. Like, he had an audience with the Queen. And the Queen of England's like standing there, and he's standing in front of her, and he's got like a suit on, it looks really good, you know, and I'm like, that is so awesome that they got this perfect picture of, of the Queen and him, and he looks great, and she, you know, she looks so regal. And, and, and what, what a great picture. And, you know, it's like one of those things where, you know, if you ever get to meet the president, you want someone to click the picture, don't you? Because that thing's going to go on your desk. And you're going to say, look, I actually met the president. It's right here on my desk. And your friend's going to say, no, that was photoshopped. I know what you did. No, it's real. I really saw him. He really shook my hand. I was, I was worthy enough, you know. He didn't think I was a threat, so I got to meet him, you know. Um, I don't know. But, but if you were invited to the Oval Office to give advice on some sort of policy, if that was me, I would feel like, who am I to be in this place of power, you know? Who, who am I to be standing here where these weighty decisions are made by generations of presidents? Things happen in this room, and here I am. What am I doing here? And I don't know how you feel about this. I'm just going to tell you how I feel about it. I don't know if I'm right when I say this or not, but this is the way I feel when I read this. God is able to keep me from falling. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. But I think what's even more amazing is I'm able to stand in front of Him, in front of His glory, and not get burnt to a crisp, you know? This sinner 
standing in front of God? No way. No way do I deserve to stand there. Take the picture! Because I shouldn't be here. But there I am standing. There you are standing. Blameless. Now, I I took the literal word because the literal word is unblemished. No blemishes. The idea is the Old Testament, remember they had to sacrifice bulls and goats and lambs, and you had to have a perfect lamb, a spotless lamb. You can't you can't offer the lame animal. You got to have the perfect animal because that was showing Jesus, right? You know, that, that he was perfect. He did everything right. He never broke a command. And I'm going to stand there and I'm going to look as good as Jesus, you know? Me with everything that I've done, you with everything you've done, you're going to look as good as Jesus? That's what it's saying. You're going to look unblemished. You're going to stand there unblemished, perfect. You're going to hear God say, not guilty. You're going to stand when you ought to be cowering in fear in the corner, afraid you're going to roast at the brightness of His glory. By the way, glory just refers to God's beauty. Standing before His holiness and I'm going to make it out of there? Secondly, though, I'm going to stand there morally perfect. But I'm also going to stand there with exceeding joy. Great joy. Not only is, listen, listen. Not only is God going to perfect me morally, you know, I'm going to look really good and look like I've never sinned before. Not only that, He's going to perfect me and you emotionally. Think about that. Perfect emotions. I'm going to have great joy. Think about all the times we get twisted up with emotional stuff. And where that leads us. And God says, I'm going to perfect that. And you're going to be standing before a holy God that should terrify you. But instead of terrifying you, you're going to have great joy. Exceeding joy. The idea is exaltation. You're going to feel all of that when you stand before Him. With perfect emotions. That is amazing. That is something to glorify God for. And so the the passage ends to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. And, and I hope I hope I picked up a little bit. I mean, I could talk about glory, majesty, power, and authority, but but I just want to highlight the very last words there: before all ages, now and forevermore. Um, I love it because you kind of had this time reference here. Before there was time. And then now, and then forevermore. God gets the glory. He has the power, dominion, and authority. It doesn't matter what time period you're talking about. He's got it. You could talk about before He created anything. You could say, glory to God. All power and authority. No one's even around to say that, right? But it was still true. Before He made anything. But then God made people who could say, to Him alone, be glory, power, majesty, and authority. That's the present as messed up as things are in the world today, as crazy as things are, we can still say that. To Him alone, be glory, majesty, power, and authority. It's still totally true. And then one day, Jesus is coming back, and you're going to stand before Him faultless, and you're going to exclaim, to you, God, alone, be glory, majesty, power, and authority. It's true all the time, anytime. It's always true of Him.
I'm thankful today. And you notice I didn't, I didn't dive deep into eternal security. Um, there's probably difference of opinions on that. But, but today I am thankful that I can have confidence that my God has, is using His almighty power to keep me going, to keep me from falling, and that one day I'll stand before Him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, in Jude verse 1 it says, we are kept by you. So we exalt you because you're the great keeper. You've kept me safe these 38 years. I've been able to follow you. I've certainly had some stumbling, but you haven't allowed me to fall. You've kept my faith alive. You've kept our faith alive as a church. And we want to exalt you for that. That you're using incredible power on our behalf. Where would we be without you? It's scary to consider the answer to that. And yet there is you. You are here. You live inside us. And this plan that you started, you will bring to completion. We want to glorify you for that now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.